We thought we'd have a little change up this week, so instead of our regular schedule, we'll be playing five episodes from the 1946 radio show Intrigue. We hope you enjoy. Presenting the world's greatest mysteries. And now, your host. This is Basil Rathbone. A dear old lady I once knew used to tell me that anything you knew nothing about couldn't possibly hurt you. Oh, she had a lofty disregard for snakes and spiders. Bandits didn't worry her in the least. And as for the evil eye, well, she simply ignored it altogether. But she did read detective stories and consequently had developed a great respect for both the hunters and the hunted. So much so that she used to roll a ball of wool under her bed every night from one side to the other to make sure no one was hiding there. When I asked her what she would do if one evening it didn't come out again, you know, on the other side, she drew a deep breath and said, I don't really know, but I keep on hoping. It'd give me such a lovely, tingly feeling. And that's what I hope we're about to give you when our play begins in just a moment. Presenting Intrigue. How is the excitement, as you call it, arranged? Of course, I must tell you how the victim, I think that was your word, how the victim is selected each evening. But not only the victim, the other member who is to act for the club and become death's high priest for the occasion. Good heavens, man, you mean they kill each other? Why, yes. The trouble of committing suicide is removed that way. You mean one of us may be picked this evening to kill one of the others? Why not? We should merely be doing him a service he requires. Would you refuse to oblige a friend? In a moment, we bring you another exciting story, starring today Marius Goring in our series, Intrigue. This is the story of a frightening adventure. 
I do not propose to tell you my name, and after you have heard the story, you will perhaps understand why not. It was an invention to which I was drawn more by curiosity than anything else. I certainly had no idea at the time of the terrible events in which the adventure would involve me, or of the tragedy in which they would end. This is how it all began. I was sitting with a friend one night in an oyster bar, not far from Leicester Square. What on earth is that fellow doing over there? The one who just came in. <laughs> he seems to be with those two commissioners. They've each got a dish of something or other. Yeah. They seem to be offering everyone something to eat. It looks as though we're going to be offered some too. Yeah. You, sir. Will you do me the honour of eating one of these tarts? I can answer for the quality of the pastry. I've eaten 27 of them myself since five o'clock. 27? Mm. Uh, isn't that rather a lot? A matter of principle, sir. Every time my offer is rejected, I insist on eating the tart myself. So you can be sure there's nothing wrong with them. I'm sure there isn't, but I never accept a gift unless I'm aware of the spirit in which it's offered. Then I shall have to admit that it's offered in a spirit of mockery. <laughs> mockery? And whom are you mocking? Oh, I haven't the time to explain my philosophy, sir. I'm, I'm simply distributing cream tarts. But I certainly include myself, if anyone is to appear ridiculous. You do? Oh, yes, indeed. So, will you oblige me by helping yourself? Otherwise, I shall have to eat my 28th, and I've really had more than enough. All right, then, we'll help you out, on one condition. If my friend and I both eat your tarts, you must join us for supper. <laughs> to this suggestion, the young man agreed. And as there was obviously a story behind all this nonsense, my friend and I were anxious to hear it. We chose a little French restaurant in Soho, ordered a private room, and over the dessert we persuaded him to begin his explanation. There's every reason why I shouldn't tell you my story, so perhaps that's why I'm going to do so. I come from quite a respectable family. I started life with quite a reasonable fortune. I went in for all the usual ways of getting rid of it. Good living, gambling, love affairs, all the rest of it. In fact, I thought myself quite a man of the world. I've had a lot of amusing adventures. I even fought a duel when I was in Paris. By the time I began to come to my senses, I had very little fortune left. And promptly fell in love. As I had nothing left to offer the lady, I came to the sad conclusion that there was really nothing very much left to live for. I got rid of all the money I had left, down to the last 80 pounds, which left me just 40 pounds to get rid of during the course of today. 40 pounds? Mm. Uh, what happened to the other 40? That went for a very particular purpose. Well, I've spent a very amusing day getting rid of my last few pounds on the cream tarts over which we met. In short, I wanted to close a foolish life in a particularly foolish manner, which you must admit I did. I shouldn't deny that. What happens next? Oh, I'm not complaining. And at least I'm not a coward. I've lived my life and enjoyed it. So now I simply have to get rid of it. Get rid of it? You mean kill yourself? Who hasn't often thought of doing that? You know, it's a curious coincidence that out of the whole of London you went and picked on a couple of people in much the same position as yourself. What? You mean you're ruined too? Well, near enough. Just to get rid of any slight disparity... Let's put five pounds here on the table to cover the bill and uh, have you a match. Thank you. And burn the rest. Like that. What the devil are you doing? Don't be an utter fool. Aren't we all? Good heavens. Haven't you got any money left at all now? Well, why didn't you keep your 40 pounds? 40 pounds? Why on earth? 40 pounds. 40 pounds would have been enough. But without that, no admission. 
They're very strict about the rules. A fine business when you can't even die without money. I think you'd better explain yourself. Do I have to? If you haven't the 40 pounds, what's the point? Uh, I happen to have enough for both of us, uh, if we really need it. Very well. But you're not fooling me. You are as desperate as I am. Like you, we've had enough of life. Sooner or later, alone or together, we're prepared to put an end to it. Now that we've met with you, and since you seem to be in a hurry, well, we can make it tonight just as easily. Why not all three of us together? And does that go for you as well? Certainly. Uh, provided you've something in mind. And you really can put up the 80 pounds between you? I think so. Uh, 10, 20, 40, 60, 80 pounds and a few left over. Oh, you can forget about the rest. 40 pounds each is the entrance fee. The entrance fee? Entrance fee to what? To the suicide club. <laughs> The Suicide Club. Even the name of it made my flesh creep. But when this amiable young man went on to explain himself a bit further, I could scarcely believe that he wasn't joking. This, he said, is an age of convenience, and there is only one convenience lacking to civilized living and modern comfort, a decent, easy way to quit the stage, the back stairs way to liberty, or as he liked to call it, death's private door. And that, he carefully explained to us, had now been supplied by the Suicide Club. Just how it's managed or who started the club, I don't exactly know. What I do know, I'm under the strongest oath not to divulge. But I can say this. If you are really tired of life, both of you, I'll take you to a meeting of the club, and if not tonight, at least sometime within the week, you'll quietly cease to live. But uh, are you serious? I mean... Sounds like some rather feeble joke. Oh, no. It's certainly not a joke. I'm in very good earnest. And you say that you are a member of this club? Yes, I paid my subscription today. I shall be going there in... Uh, what time is it? In half an hour. You've just got half an hour to make up your minds whether you're coming with me or not. I'll be back for your decision in half an hour, gentlemen. Whether the man was serious or not, that was something we couldn't quite decide. Indeed, the only way to settle the question was by taking him up on his offer, and it took us only a few minutes to decide to see the adventure through to the end. You've made up your minds, both of you. You don't want to draw back while there's still time. We're not in the habit of drawing back, either of us. Very well, then. We'll take a four-wheeler. Oh, cab! Well, gentlemen, in the circumstances, you'll appreciate that a certain amount of secrecy is called for until you're actually enrolled in the club. You'll forgive me if I take the precaution of blindfolding you both. Is that necessary? Yes, I'm afraid it is. You see, gentlemen, this is not a joke. Our journey took us to a part of the city with which I was not familiar. In fact, I had absolutely no sense of our direction, except that it was east and the journey was a lengthy one. The cab stopped at last in a dark street, and the young man paid it off. He took the bandages off our eyes and invited us to follow him down an alleyway. He knocked at a door. The door was opened, and we were ushered into an entrance hall. The young man left us for a few minutes, 
Voices were heard, and at last an inner door was opened, and we found ourselves in the presence of the president of the club. Well, sit down, gentlemen. I'm told you wish to see me. We wish to join your club, sir. Suicide club. May I ask your reasons? My friend here was a colonel till he was cashiered for cheating at cards. Oh. And yourself? Sheer laziness. Laziness? <laughs> Hang it. You must have a better reason than that. Why should I have? I've lost all my money. I can't be bothered to make any more. <laughs> if I wasn't so experienced in these things, I should probably turn you both away. As it is, I happen to know that suicide is almost always committed for the most frivolous reasons. Very well, then. If you're both prepared to take the oath in the manner prescribed, you will be accepted as members. The oath, I need hardly add, is an oath of secrecy. We are careful to make it binding in the very highest degree. When you've taken that oath, if you're willing to do so, then you will be enrolled forthwith as members of the Suicide Club. How long will that membership last? <laughs> that remains to be seen, gentlemen. But I don't expect you'll be kept waiting very long. bound ourselves on oath to keep the secrets of the Suicide Club. Nothing could be conceived more passive than the obedience promised or more stringent of the terms to which we had agreed. The man who broke that oath of silence could scarcely have a rag of honor or any of the consolations of religion left to him. We signed the document, but not without a shudder. The President received our entrance money and without more ado took us through into the smoking room of the Suicide Club. We looked about us with interest. Few of the other members were much above 30, and one or two were still in their teens. They stood leaning on tables and shifting on their feet. Many of them were smoking nervously. Others had let their cigars go out. Some talked well. But the conversation of others was plainly the result of nervous tension. One man interested me intensely. He was probably upwards of 40, but he looked fully 10 years older. I've never seen a man more naturally hideous, nor one more ravaged by his excesses. He was partly paralyzed and was the only man in the room who shared the composure of the president. I got into conversation with him. So you are newcomers, are you? Well, perhaps I can help to set your minds at rest. I've been coming here regularly for two years now. Two years? But I, I thought members could only expect to last for a week or so. Ah, yes, but my case is peculiar. I'm not, properly speaking, a suicide at all. Merely an honorary member. I only visit the club once every two months or so. My infirmity, you know. And I pay a special rate. Even so, my luck has been quite extraordinary. Your luck? I'm afraid we still don't really understand. No, of course not. An ordinary member who comes here looking for death, like you, returns every evening until fortune favors him. He can even live on the premises quite cheaply. The president's company is worth the money in itself. Indeed, I shouldn't have thought that. Oh, but you don't know the man. The drollest fellow. What stories and what cynicism. I take it he's a permanency, like yourself. The only permanency, really. So far, I've been graciously spared. But I must go at last. 
But the president never plays, of course. He shuffles and deals for us and makes all the necessary arrangements. He's been running the club for over three years, and not a whisper of suspicion has been aroused. Quite astonishing when you come to think of it. And he assists the members to commit suicide? Yes, indeed. The whole thing is in his hands. You remember the case last week, the man who was accidentally poisoned in a chemist's shop? I read about it in the papers. Beautifully arranged. Though one of our president's less racy notions. But how simple. And how safe. You mean that man was one of the victims? I mean, one of your members. But of course. Nearly every accident which you read about in the papers, in decent society, of course, is arranged for one or other of our members. Ex-members, I should say. I'm afraid I'm still in the dark. How are these accidents, as you call them, uh, arranged? Of course, I must tell you how the victim, I think that was your word, how the victim is selected each evening uh, by a game, an exciting game. And not only the victim is chosen by this game, but also the other member who is to act for the club and become death's high priest for the occasion. Good heavens, man, you mean they kill each other? Why, yes. The trouble of committing suicide is removed that way. You mean one of us may be picked this evening to kill one of the others? Why not? We should merely be doing him a service he requires. Would you refuse to oblige a friend? Well, since you say that the game is exciting, how is it played? Extremely simply. The members sit round the table and the president shuffles and deals the cards. One at a time, to each member in turn. The member turns up his card... And I assure you, the suspense is almost unbearable. Exquisite. You mean one of the cards means that the member is to die? Exactly. The ace of spades is the card of death. And the card that turns him into a murderer? We prefer to say appoints him official of the night. That is another ace. The ace of clubs. Now I could understand, only too clearly, the nervous tension on all sides. The man sitting by himself in the window, his head hanging, hands thrust deep in his trouser pockets, pale and sweating with fear, a wreck in soul and body. I could understand the cynical smile on the face of the president, the only one in the room who had nothing to lose by the game, who charged each man the price of his death, or the hire of the killer. At last we met again the man who had brought us to the club, the young madman of the cream tarts. Is this your first night here as a member? I take it that it is. Yes. As I said, quite a few of my friends have been members in the past. That's how I came to hear about it. While they were waiting for their ace of spades. I hope to be fortunate. On your first night? Isn't that rather unlikely? Unlucky at love, you know. Lucky at cards. I'll lay you five to one that I draw the ace tonight. I thought you'd spent your last sovereign on cream tarts. Oh, I'm sorry, of course I did. Well, wish me luck anyway. I wish you all that you wish yourself. I wish you the same. Uh, if it's your pleasure, gentlemen. Well, this will decide it, one way or the other. folding doors had been thrown open, and the whole roomful of men began to pass into the next room. The gaming room itself was similar in every way to the one we had left, 
except for the furniture. The center of the room was occupied by a long green table, at the head of which the president seated himself. In front of him was a pack of cards, which he began to shuffle and cut with careful deliberation. Thirteen members sat down at the table, my friend and I between the young man and the semi-paralyzed honorary member. Very well, gentlemen. For the benefit of our new members, each of you must declare the card that's been dealt to him before I deal a card to his neighbor. Is that understood? Certainly. Very well, then. I'll begin to deal. Two of hearts. Knave of spades. Ten of hearts. Queen of hearts. Three of clubs. Eight of diamonds. Seven of clubs. Knave of diamonds. Ace of hearts. No. No. I must ask you to declare your card, sir. The ace of clubs. The ace of clubs, the card of the killer, had been dealt to the young man of the cream tarts. He dropped it on the table, his face whiter than the pasteboard, then left his place at the table and stumbled back into the smoking room. The excitement round the gaming table was now electric. The killer was known, and somewhere among the remaining twelve was the victim. Hope, fear, envy, and abject terror shone from the watching eyes of the players. A striking contrast to the cynical smile of the dealer. Five of hearts. King of spades. Four of diamonds. A card had now been dealt to every member round the table. The president began to deal the second round. Ace of clubs. Queen of spades. Five of clubs. Six of diamonds. Seven of spades. King of hearts. Two of diamonds. And once again the deal had come round to me. As I turned my card on the table, my heart was pounding in my chest. Ten of hearts. And now it was the turn of my neighbor, the honorary member. Ah! The ace of spades. No, no, no. <laughs> The game for that night was at an end. The president gathered up the cards again, replaced the pack in its box, then stretched and yawned like a man who has finished his day's work. But the honorary member, who had trifled with his fears one time too often, sat in his place with his head in his hands, drunk and motionless, a thing struck and down. My friend and I made our escape as quickly as we could. After some rapid walking, we hailed a handsome cab, which took us back to our homes and back to some degree of sanity. Next morning, my friend came round to call on me after breakfast. Well, have you seen it in this morning's paper? No, what? I haven't looked at the papers yet. Then read this. Double tragedy in London Square. Death fall from window. Read it. Brumpton Square was the scene early this morning of a double tragedy. Mr. Bartholomew Malthus, well known in social circles, and Sir Andrew Flann were killed in a fall from the fourth floor window of the former's town residence. On emerging from the lift, it is thought that Mr. Malthus must have been seized with an attack of giddiness, which caused Sir Andrew to lead him to an open window at the end of the corridor. It is thought that one of the gentlemen must then have stumbled, and that the other, in trying to save him, was dragged through the window in his turn. The bodies were found in an area 
by a constable on his early morning round. The honorary member, gentleman of the cream tarts. So he died after all. Was it murder and suicide or murder and accidental death? I wonder. For whatever it was, the world can spare them, both of them. Yes, and the only thing lacking to make it poetic justice. You mean the president? Yes, the president of the suicide club. Whether the club is still in existence, that is something that I shall never know. All I know is this, that I never read of a fatal accident in the papers now without wondering whether it was an accident or just one further member of an association of madmen, madmen whose 40 pounds had been paid to join the suicide club. listening to another exciting story starring today Marius Goring in our series Intrigue. This is Basil Rathbone again. Well, as Aunt Matilda used to say, you never can tell, can you? And when you can, you can't be sure. Of course, that's a defeatist attitude. Every mystery is a challenge. Every moment of danger carries with it a unique opportunity. And even fear itself is something which I personally wouldn't like to be without. But don't misunderstand me. I only like it in regular doses. Every time we meet to explore another of the world's greatest mysteries.
That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.